Oh, it is. It's good to be at Calvary. <laughs> we try not to take ourselves too seriously. One thing we do take seriously, though, is God's Word. And that might not have exactly been historically accurate. <laughs> but I'm thankful that one thing that is historically accurate is the story of what actually happened that first Christmas, which we're going to turn to together as we open God's Word. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. Merry Christmas. When was the last time you felt a sense of wonder? Like the kind of excitement, something so amazing and incredible, maybe even mind-blowing, that when it happened, it caused you to go, wow. I'm sure a lot of kids are experiencing wonder tonight. The anticipation of what's to come and excitement about what tomorrow or tonight may bring for you. It's that one package that's under the tree that you can't quite figure out what's in it and can't wait to open it. And then when you do and you go, wow, that is wonder. Wonder has often been linked with Christmas. In fact, it might be one of the most common feelings we're told we ought to experience this time of year. And many of us probably did as children at Christmas. But isn't it true that as we get older, wonder tends to wear off? I mean, the truth is there's a lot of pressure around Christmas. You have to get the perfect present. You are at the three o'clock service, so you may still have time if you haven't yet gotten it. You might feel pressure to throw a bigger and better party than you did last year. There's pressure to decorate, pressure to get Christmas cards out on time. It's a lot. So kids enjoy it while it lasts. And then, of course, there's the reality of pain that many of us experience at Christmas. Because perhaps our Christmas celebration doesn't exactly measure up to what we had hoped it would be. Or this is the first year we're celebrating Christmas without someone or without something. And then, of course, there's the people. Because it turns out that some of us might be a little difficult to be around. And so for all those reasons and more, the last time we felt a sense of wonder might not have anything to do with Christmas at all. It's one of the reasons we've been in a series together over the last month called Wonder. So that maybe this year we will encounter the Christmas story with a fresh set of eyes, a new perspective. Because for the real people who experienced that first Christmas, wonder was everywhere. And the Gospel writer Luke does a remarkable job of capturing the sense of wonder that surrounded the first Christmas. His account of what happened begins a little more than a year before Jesus was born. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are an amazing couple. 
Luke describes them as righteous and blameless. Like you couldn't find anything wrong with them. They were delightful to be around. They were older and unable to have children. Luke describes Elizabeth as being barren. And now they were too old to even consider having kids. And so that hope they had clung to, that dream that they had held in their hearts for so long, they had to put it to death and realize it was no longer possible. And Zechariah, it says, served as a priest. Old Testament scholars estimate that there were thousands of priests in the first century in Israel, between eight and 20,000. And they were all organized into different divisions, and Zechariah's division was of Abijah. And they would rotate in their priestly duties, which meant that they would head up to the temple in Jerusalem. And there were so many priests that they would serve twice a year, one week at a time, which sounds like a pretty good gig if you can get it. And by the providence of God, Zechariah was serving this week. And there were particular roles that you would serve as a priest, and one of the most coveted, most desired jobs you could have as a priest it was so popular, you could only do it once in your life, and it was chosen by casting lots. This job was that you would get to go into the temple, into what was known as the holy place, right in front of a giant curtain that separated that part of the temple from the most holy place, which was considered by Jews to be the holiest place in the entire world. And you would spread incense there in preparation for the worship that would happen at the temple. And they cast lots, and seemingly by chance, or probably more accurately by the sovereignty of God, Zechariah was chosen for this once-in-a-lifetime experience to be able to enter the temple and burn incense. And just being inside the temple that close to the most holy place would have been a wondrous experience all on its own. But then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. You want to talk about wondrous. An angel right there in front of you. It would have been amazing, mind-blowing. And then the angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. This young baby, of course, will grow to be the prophet known as John the Baptist. The first prophet in Israel in about 400 years. And he will come to prepare his people for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus. And his ministry will be one to call people to turn back to God in repentance and to follow after him and get ready for the ministry of Jesus that is to come. So all in all, this is a pretty good day in Zachariah's life, right? Once in a lifetime, like best day on the job. You get to meet an angel, pretty cool. And then your deepest hope, you're told, will happen. What you've longed for and stopped believing was even possible, that you might have a child, by the power of God, will come true. How do you think we would respond to a wondrous 
experience like this. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? Zechariah says. That phrasing lacks some of the punch that Zechariah intended in his reaction to the angel. He's asking for a sign. He wants proof. Because apparently an angel standing right in front of you and speaking to you isn't evidence enough that this might happen. Eugene Peterson, excuse me, paraphrased Zachariah's reaction this way. You expect me to believe this? I am an old man. And my wife is advanced. I like that. I'm going to tell my kids, daddy's not old. Daddy's advanced. And in what maybe is the greatest power move of all time, the angel answers him and says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He's got the upper hand now. And I was sent to speak to you, Zechariah, and to bring to you this good news. Interestingly, the angel does give him a sign when he says, Behold, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah has this amazing encounter, this wondrous experience. And what's his reaction? Disbelief. Can you blame him? It all seems too good to be true, right? God is speaking to me through an angel. God hears my prayers. And God is going to answer my prayers. And God is going to answer my prayers in a miraculous way because physically it's not possible for my wife and I to have a baby. It's too good to be true. So can we blame him for his disbelief? I know some of us tonight are probably feeling similarly to Zechariah. Like the Christmas story just seems a little too good to be true. Could it be possible that God would actually send angels? That God would answer prayers? That God would speak to humans? That God would send His Son to save us from our sins. If you find yourself, like Zachariah, thinking this is too good to be true, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you'll pay attention to Zachariah as we hear the rest of the story. He came out of the temple unable to speak. And everyone sees that and knows that something miraculous, something amazing must have happened inside the walls of the temple. He finishes up his priestly work, it says, and then he heads home. And shortly after, just as the angel had predicted, Elizabeth conceived. And then in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that same angel, Gabriel, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth 
to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then he tells her, Mary, you will conceive and have a son and you'll name him Jesus. And he will be great and they'll call him the son of God. He'll be like a king with a kingdom that never ends. And Mary said, how will this happen? I'm a virgin. A different kind of question than Zachariah is not asking for a sign, but an explanation. More like, how exactly does that work? And the angel said, Mary, by the power of God, you will conceive. Because of that, the baby will be holy, the one and only Son of God. And your relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant, even in her old age, and in spite of her inability to have children. And then the angel says this to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? What a wondrous experience for Mary. Young Jewish women in Mary's day knew the prophecies about the Messiah from what we call the Old Testament, about the promised Savior. And many of them prayed that God would bless them with the honor of being God's, excuse me, of being the mother of God's chosen Messiah. But none of them imagined that it would happen this way. An immaculate conception. By the power of God, they assumed the the Messiah would be a human, not the Son of God. So this is an even more unbelievable prediction than the one that Gabriel shared with Zechariah. I mean, in Zechariah's case, there are other stories in the Old Testament of miraculous births of people who in their old age conceived a child. Our good friends Abraham and Sarah experienced that. So that had precedent, but not this. And still, how does Mary react? Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Zechariah reacted to this wondrous experience with disbelief. But Mary? Mary reacted with faith. Beautiful faith. Let it it be according to me as your word. She doesn't have all the answers. She doesn't know the implications of what's to come and what this means for her life and the life of her son, but she doesn't have to because Mary trusts God. That's faith. Simple. I admire the faith that so many of you have in this room. And I know you would say what Mary would probably say also. That it's not about you and the strength of your faith, but rather your faith is because of the strength of God and his promises. For nothing will be impossible with him. After this, Mary went as fast as she could to visit Elizabeth and Zechariah, who lived up in the mountains, the text says. And when Mary greeted Elizabeth, it says, 
that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaped for joy. And immediately, Elizabeth speaks a blessing over Mary for her faith. Mary is such a good model for us. Mary says as a response to that blessing from Elizabeth, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. All of this wonder, all of these amazing things result in Mary responding in the most important way possible. She responds with worship. That's truly what Christmas is about. Even more than wonder. Christmas is meant to evoke in our hearts a sense of worship for God and for Christ and all that they have done. And Mary stayed with them for a few months and then went home and Elizabeth gave birth to her son, John. Their neighbors and family were so happy for this couple that God had answered their prayers. And the time comes for them to officially name their child and everyone assumes they'll name him after his father, Zachariah. But Elizabeth says, no, we'll call his name John. And they said, why would you call him that? There's no one in your family that's named John. Zachariah, still unable to speak, asks for a writing tablet, probably an iPad, I assume, and wrote on it, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he, like Mary, spoke, blessing God. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, he said, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. It may have taken him a little while, but Zechariah eventually responds to these wondrous experiences in a similar way to Mary with worship. He worships God for redeeming his people, for offering salvation through Jesus. And that, my friends, is worthy of worship. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news for all people. 
This might be the most wondrous thing of all about Christmas. The Christmas story, the birth of Christ, is for everyone. Everywhere. It's for me. It's for you. It's for anyone and everyone who knows that they need a Savior. That they stand in separation from God. And that God has made a way by sending His Son, Jesus. And this will be a sign for you, the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Zechariah initially didn't believe. Mary was filled with faith. And the shepherds? I think they're curious. They want to see this thing that has happened. Let's go and see it for ourselves. That's a good way to respond. This is unbelievable. Let's go and see with our own eyes if this is true. If you're here tonight unsure about whether or not this story about Jesus from that first Christmas is true, I'd invite you, just like the shepherds, to come and see. Come and learn. Come and journey with Jesus and investigate the claims that he makes about himself. Good news for all people has been the theme of a series we've been in together this year as we've been studying this gospel, the gospel of Luke, learning more and more about Jesus, what he did, what he said, what he accomplished, what he promised about himself. We're going to continue that in the new year. And as the rest of the Gospel of Luke unfolds, the focus is going to be squarely on the cross, looking towards Easter. Because that was the ultimate purpose of why Jesus came at Christmas. So that he might journey from a manger one day to a cross. So that he could die for you and for the sins of anyone who would call upon his name for salvation. And so the shepherds went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God, there it is, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I started tonight by asking you, when was the last time you felt a sense of wonder? Let me end by asking you, when was the last time your heart was filled with worship? No matter what our reaction to the wonder of Christmas might be, disbelief like Zechariah, faith like Mary, curiosity like the shepherds, the calling on each of us tonight 
is to turn to Jesus in worship. So when was the last time you worshiped Jesus? If it's been a while, I would invite you tonight to turn back to him and give him praise and glory and worship. And if you've never worshiped Jesus before in your life, why not make tonight the night that you experience the wondrous gift of salvation that is found in Christ? By simply receiving the grace of God, freely offered and given to you through his son, Jesus. The way we're going to worship Christ tonight is by singing, by lighting candles. So kids, I hope you'll remind your parents about some of the rules we have about candles here. Once your candle's alight, please keep it upright. That will help you not get burned with wax and the pews not get damaged. We appreciate that. Before we light our candles, we're going to sit for a moment together in darkness. Darkness is a symbol throughout the scriptures of what a life without Jesus is like. It's to help us understand what a life lived in separation from God feels like. A gap so wide and so far that God is the only one who could close it. And he did it by giving us his son as a gift. Will you receive him? Jesus said, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So as we bring the lights down in this room, I would encourage you to consider whether you are ready to worship Christ. As you ponder that, I would remind you Jesus promises that whoever may come to him and receive his free gift of salvation, he will forgive. And he will shine light into the darkness of your heart and restore your relationship with your heavenly Father. And as we pass a light around, symbolizing the light of salvation that has been passed from that first Christmas, to 2,000 years later, today here in Boulder, Colorado, I invite you to receive the light of Jesus in your heart and worship Christ.
Three. 